0: We are live. We are live on the Jeff Nozine podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Lopez. Super excited to have on today, Robin Sharma. What Welcome is up, brother? to the Jeff Nozine, hey, entrepreneurial hot fun conversation it's your host. And, man, Jeff there's so Lopes. many layers. To what you do is over two decades experience as a serial entrepreneur I want to take it back like a bit. I want to start off from ice uh, baseball to a multi-million milk, milk dollar global, milk global milk. brand that has well, sold life growing, growing up there in a million and, and pairs pair. of boxing Give me your roots, so Jeff's gets, uh, here to get educate, know your guide, guide and drive you on the process of bringing your ideas and dreams to reality with the inspiring stories from some of the top business minds
1: Welcome to episode 164 of the Jeff Nozine Podcast. I'm your host, there. Jeff Lopes. Super uh, excited from very to have on today one of the most inspiring authors of our generation, Robin Foxbury, Sharma. Robin or Sharma or best known I for The Monk Who Sold His Ferrari and his newest book, The Everyday Hero
0: Manifesto. Great conversation. Sit back, everyone. a
1: Not a lot happened. Then I moved to Dartmouth, as you mentioned. And I lived in Dartmouth and Halifax for, I don't know. 15 years or or so and then uh then I moved to Toronto
0: what age did you move to Toronto to
1: Moved to Toronto I'd say 25 roughly 25
0: oh so you lived you're pretty much your whole childhood out east you're you're when you moved to Toronto um so that was already after going to law school and all that stuff
1: yes I I went to um to Dalhousie in Halifax Yeah. yeah and um yeah, I uh, then I went to work on Bay Street as a litigation lawyer. I was very unhappy doing it, led me to uh, sort of an existential crisis for a few years, where I was looking for my way and trying to get a sense of meaning and fulfillment in my life. Made a big transformation. Wrote the monk who sold his Ferrari. Uh, was discovered in a. I know. I know you want to focus on the Canadian part of things so uh, it was uh discovered in a chapters bookstore in markham ontario <laughs> I love it the president by the president of harper collins ed carson uh harper collins bought the rights the world rights for 7500 dollars and uh you know it It just went went on from there and the the monk who sold his ferrari has sold you know millions and millions of of copies
0: what was that original reaction when you first okay f- first off from from the initial time you took pen to paper to start writing that book, what was the period? How long of a period was it? Was it during that whole two-year period or was it prior you started it?
1: Uh, the, so the two-year period or, or the existential crisis yeah. was before I started writing, Jeff. And then after yeah. that, I I took a, a sabbatical from my legal position for a year. And over that year, I, would, I was writing The Monk Who Sold Ferrari. Self-published it. Yeah. In a Kinkos coffee shop, remember Kinkos? Yeah. Uh and I just started I just started, you know, going to service clubs, speaking to 15 or 20 people at a time. And the book just uh through word of mouth, it just it just took off.
0: With your law background and obviously your education, was that something you had a passion for? Or was that something more um Coming from obviously even even your background your cultural is there's a lot I mean you always hear that stigma of of pushing education to their children and 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 really establish yourself what, where was your mindset getting into law did you have a passion for it originally or was it just something where is a great career let me just continue this path
1: um, I used to watch L A Law when I was a kid so <laughs> that's
0: not the answer I was expecting I guess
1: that's, that's that's probably the extent of my passion for it I just you're right I mean. As I was growing up, you know, I was encouraged to be a doctor or a lawyer, and um, I'm more of an artist than anything. You know, like I share a lot of my life and my wins and my tragedies in the Everyday Hero Manifesto. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of chapters in there, like that chapter why I write the heartbreak country music. I mean, I think it shows that I'm I'm more an artist than someone who would be a, who would be a, a lawyer. But I was really encouraged to to get a strong education, as you're suggesting. I became a lawyer. I was very successful at it, but what's the point of being successful and soulless, right? What's the point of being successful in the world, but empty within yourself? What's the point of fitting in and pleasing the crowd when you lose yourself along the way. I think the definition of heartbreak is getting to the end of a quarter or a year or a career or a lifetime and realizing you lived your neighbor's life or your mother's life or society's life. And and that's a lot of what the Everyday Hero is about. It's how do you break free of following the crowd and this world that we're living in and really start to own your genius and do amazing things in your work that inspire the world while they materialize your promise and live the life that you want to live, you know, no matter what that looks like.
0: With, I mean, I'm a strong believer. And it's something I talk about all the time is living with no regrets. And, and it's something I'm very passionate about, but it's something that even living that, which my mindset is I try to live that at the fullest. You always still have regrets no matter what. I mean, I'll just give you an example. I mean, my father passed away eight months ago, and he was my best friend. I, I was the forty-four-year-old I would call my dad three times a day. I was the forty-four-year-old I see my dad once, twice a week. They live in Etobicoke. and I spent so much time with him. I did everything I could. When he when he suddenly passed away unexpectedly, I still had all these regrets, all these things I wish I could have done with him. Right. So you live with that. How do you break? Th- how do you break through to somebody? to live with no regrets, to, to live to their fullest. Like where's your mindset and how do you preach that? How do you push that out of somebody?
1: Well, first of all, I'm sorry to hear about your, your father's oh, passing. Yeah. Um, secondly, I can't believe you're 44. So <laughs> whatever you're, whatever you're doing, whatever you're doing, keep,
0: keep uh, it going. Tell, um, tell my wife and my kids that.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Um, but you know, how do you, how do I preach? Well, I never try to preach. You know, I try to meet people where they're, where they're at in interesting in all, in all of my books or my mentoring with billionaires and sports superstars and titans of industry. I never try to preach. I try to, I try to listen and I try to meet them where they're at. I don't think anyone loves being preached at in terms of regret. I think, I think it comes down to philosophy. Like I personally don't have a lot of regrets because Everything that has happened to me has shaped me and molded me. And it's my my suffering has taught me strength. My trials have introduced me to hidden talents I didn't know I had. It's like when you're on your knees, that's when you get to know how strong you are. Uh, When life knocks you down, for example, that cracks the ego that covers your heart. And teaches you compassion. I mean, we learn strength, bravery, compassion, wisdom, creativity when we are in a difficult time. So, how could I regret the heartbreak? How could I regret the losses? How could I regret the plan Bs when, in a, it it almost, it's almost like there was a hidden set of invisible hands leading me along. Uh, You know, there's that old idea, a bad day for the ego is a great day for the soul. My ego didn't like it when things, right? My ego didn't like it when things worked. That didn't work out. But in hindsight, I realized everything that happened to me was like this majestic orchestration, perfectly designed to help me grow into the person destiny wants me to be.
0: When did you even... (sighs) I, I you're constantly learning and growing. I mean, that's just how we are as humans. When did you find or, or realize the gift you have even just like, I'm just listening to you talk right now. And it's like, I almost want to give you a hug. You're so inspiring. You're so motivational. Just the way you, you just, you just, you get to somebody's soul. How? Did, when did you, if, even if you having it, but when did have you, when did you find that moment? Where it was like, I have a gift to give.
1: Well. I don't know if I have a gift.
0: You do. You definitely, you definitely do.
1: Well, you're, you're more than generous, Jeff, but you know, um, 26 years, of a non 26 years toiling on my craft to, to get to a place where it looks like I have a gift. Yeah. And that, I think that's genius is so much more about your habits and your practice than your genetics and your DNA and that's something i've been evangelizing for 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 so long i mean it's really easy to pedestal people who look like they have a gift and you don't see the sweat equity that
0: yeah, has gone yeah. on
1: for for two decades to to work on the gift so um, but thank you, thank you for saying that i think there's some natural inclination towards communication and wisdom and philosophy and helping people own their glorify their talents and then a lot of hard work in the trenches, uh, to do that. So I don't know if I have a gift, but I, I love what I do. I've been at it, uh, over a quarter of a century. Yeah. And, um, I love writing the books. I love giving the presentations. I love mentoring people. Um, and I do it because I, I, I love being creative I love trying to get better, but mostly I, I, I want to be a humble servant to as many people as possible. If you look at the world right now, you know a, pe- a plague ravage, a plague rules the earth, wildfires are all over the place. There's social unrest, there's economic volatility, and I think a lot of people are um, really scared and confused and looking for some kind of a grounding. And I, I worked on the every. I wrote the Everyday Hero Manifesto, uh, sixteen months during the pandemic. I started it actually before the pandemic began in a wow. hotel room in Tribeca, and then once you know everything got locked down. Yeah, uh, you're you're a Canadian, so so I was in Toronto as well. And uh, during that time, so you know, it's if you can't go out, you you can go within. Yeah, and you know, obviously there's incredible suffering and collective trauma as a result of what's going on. But one of the upsides was I I had all this time, you know, at home where I could just really work on the craft and write the book and try to be as vulnerable as I could be. And um, finish, finish, finish this project.
0: When you're writing, do you try to take yourself out of the, your normal element or like you said, obviously during the pandemic, you were home, but is it, is it, do you have a certain like schedule? Like I, I like writing in the morning, I like writing, you do, okay, what's, your, what's your schedule like?
1: Sure. Well, first thing is I try to get lost. Okay. So in an ideal, in an ideal world, like with the 5am club, yeah. I wrote, I wrote it. I mean, those, I don't know if you've read the book, but in the 5M Club, it was in, um, there was Mauritius and there was Rome and there's, and a lot of those parts of the uh, the vineyard in South Africa. (laughs) I was actually in those places writing those chapters. I love that. So I'm a firm believer that you can't inspire if you're de-inspired. And I also believe that we be, we feel that inspiration when we when we force ourselves to get away from our routine and our home and our home territory, and then when so if we go to beautiful places, whether it's Mauritius or Rome or wherever, those are the places that lift my spirit. Yeah. Then we get a you know we we allow our brains to go into transient hypofrontality, flow state. And we connect with the secret orbit that geniuses have known, but we can know that as well. It's just often we don't get to the places we need to and create the routines that would allow us to inhabit that sense of possibility. Like we all have a brain that can shift from beta to alpha to theta. We all have a brain that can create flow. But as as I say in the new book, you know, to have the results only 5% of the population has, you've got to be willing to do what 95% of the population is unwilling to do. And so most of us, we, you know, good souls, but we want the rewards of world class, but we're not willing to pay the price that world class requires. So one of the things when I write, I try to get away and I go dark. My team doesn't send me emails. I go dark. Yeah. I vanish. Yeah, I vanish, I vanish, even if it's for eight days or 10 days, I vanish. And literally, I turn off my phone for most of the day, or sometimes two or three days. I start my day with some great coffee, I love to sunbathe for a little while I might read meditations of Marcus Aurelius or something philosophical. Uh, I love morning exercise, especially if I'm writing, it's gentler. So I'll go Mm -hmm. for a walk. If it's Rome, I'll go up to Villa Borghese. And then I have my five great hours rule that I talk about in the Everyday Hero Manifesto, which is very disruptive. But I lock myself away from the world for five hours. And I do really intense, sweaty, serious, undistracted cognitive work. And I started like about eight o'clock. And if I can get four or five hours or maybe six hours of flow, state, creativity and work, I'm done. And then I leave my hotel room and I go for a walk and I take the rest of the day off. And, and I live that kind of a monastic life um, for weeks or two weeks at a time when I'm writing a book.
0: And I, has there ever been moments when you you complete a book and you're just like, how many times do you go back and edit it or go back and 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 change before you're like, when do you know in your soul is like, okay, I'm done. Like, is there always questions? or do you always question yourself? Like, because you've written so many, you've, you've written so many books. Like, is there as an as an author, is there moments where it's like, this is not ready yet? And it's like, even though you know it's done, you always have that question in your mind.
1: I'm smiling because. I'm really enjoying speaking with you. You're, you're a great, you're a great interviewer. You ask thoughtful questions, you listen. Yeah. Um, and it's probably because you're Canadian, you know, <laughs> like I, I'm really enjoying it. And so I thank you for, I thank you for that. Um, <laughs> I forget who said it. I, I think it was the, the the person who wrote a prayer for Owen Meany, the, the famous yeah. author, Yeah. John Irving. I, anyway, it was John yeah. Irving. And I think he said, I'm not a great writer. I'm a great editor. I thought that was very, yeah. I thought it was very profound. And and so the Everyday Hero Manifesto, I thought it was done in in February of 2020 after those 16 days in Tribeca. I I probably iterated it, polished it 20 to 30 times. I'm talking about the entire manuscript. 20 to 30 times. I mean, I can show you some of the pictures in the book that shows what the manuscript looks like if I can find it. But I think... You know, you, you're, 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 here it is. So there's a chapter in the book called kill your, kill your darlings. And that speaks to the fact that in any creative project, you've got to have the bravery and discipline to kill the things you think are amazing for the sake of making sure only the very best gets into the work. And I think that's a very powerful point, but there's, I don't know if you can see that. Yeah, that's, I can see that. Yeah. See all see all the writing on that. manuscript. <laughs> yeah. I
0: love it. I love well,
1: it. That was that was I did that 20 or 30 times with the entire three or 350 page manuscript, that level of iteration, changing it. Then my assistant, Angela, would bring it back again. Like I like to work on a a stack of paper, go through it again, you know, all 300 or 400 pages, iterate it, change it, add a quote, you know. And I think that's that's what it takes if you want to do your best work.
0: I love that. I love that. And everything you do obviously has, a, there's that moment of a passion. When do you like, is there a moment where it's like, you're just driving and, and you get this thought in your head for a great book and you have to like pull out your phone. Is it almost like a, you always hear when I talk about artists, songwriters where they, they that moment hits them where they got to pull the phone and record or say something. They're going to forget it. Do you have those moments? Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, well,
1: I have those moments, Jeff, when I have those moments, yeah. and then i and then I have these deserts of cognitive depletion. And what mm-hmm. I mean is, I really believe in the muse, and maybe the muse is our higher power, yeah, okay. or maybe it's our instinct. Yeah. you know when we get out of the ego and listen to the muse that's the power of nature walks that's the power yeah. of journaling that's the power of silence that's the power of great music that's the power of traveling yeah. we get out of our ego or let's go to the neuroscience the prefrontal cortex and we get to a deeper place of thinking and when we get to that the muse or it could be our instinct whatever term you want to call it could be god whatever works for you we start to get these downloads so when I'm in one of those seasons of creative harvest, I'll get book ideas, I'll get like pages and pages and pages and pages of <laughs> liners, <love> <laughs> like becoming sometimes fully formed paragraphs. Yeah, I'll write them down. And then you know, I finished the book in June and, and I've been on podcasts. And Can all I that say one
0: quick things. thing? I, I sure. love that you take pen to paper still. I'm everything I do. Is pen the paper? Everything I do totally. is pen the to paper. Totally. Every morning I'm totally. just constantly, constantly just writing notes, writing stuff. I love it. That's me. Everywhere you go, in my car, in my jeep, at home, me I too. just got notepads everywhere. I love that. I love that. Sorry, yeah, but I, I, I mean, apologize got, for interrupting. There, your thought process. It.
1: No, it's no problem at all. It's I, you know I've got the iPad, I've got the fo- the phone, yeah. I've got the you know the paper, you know that paper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, it's yeah. like an iPad that you can yeah, write yeah, on. Yeah. I I always just default. I just, I need to write. I'm a writer. I need yeah. to write. I can't, I can't help not write. Um, but yes, so, you know, I finished the book and I gave everything into the book. And then I think if you do your job well on a creative project, whether it's an app or a business or a book or a screenplay, then you should be creatively empty. Yeah. And so the past few months, I've been, you know, to confess, complete, uh, pretty much empty. I mean, I'm still getting ideas, but, and it's very easy to to wonder if something's wrong. But yeah. what I've realized is, if you really, you know, I'm not a, I don't subscribe to the hustle and grind philosophy. I believe if you want to do your best work as an entrepreneur, a business builder, create an artist, you've got to trust the seasons. And I think sometimes you are in the harvest season, like a great farmer and a great farmer also lets the field go fallow. Yeah. yeah. And, and in the fallow season, the ego or the mind says, Oh, why am I not hustling and grinding? I, I should feel, I feel guilty, but it's, it's in the fallow season that the ideas are incubating for your next creative project. And so if you sort of just trust the seasons and push your best creativity, when you're full of creativity, and then when you're empty, rest, recover, travel, read, have great conversations, think, plan. I think you're going to do amazing work and, and and live a much more balanced life.
0: Yeah, and I love that. And I love the very fact that inspiration sometimes comes from pain or, or like when my father passed away, I needed something to keep his memory going. And um Seven days after he passed away, in six days, I wrote six children's books. And I've released two. I'll show you here. Here's one. Give me one second. Sure. I usually never talk myself on shows, but I mean, just so the first one we did was I don't know if you can see it here. I okay. can. It's Strawberry Hill, a lesson on gratitude. And all the books are dedicated to my dad, and all the proceeds go to Sick Kids Hospital, which is very close to our hearts, our hearts. And they all start off in the same thing. It says, In a living, in a loving memory of Grandpa Joe, you're tender and kind, what a beautiful memory you left behind. And they're all on this is actually my son Tiago. My daughter Sierra. And and I all the books and characters are built around them. And the second one I just released actually yesterday is called Kindness Goes a Long Way. And they're just lessons. And these books were it was like I had to release something. And I'm gonna release them slowly. And all and it's not about the monies. All the monies, like I said, is going to go to sick kids. And it was this, it was more of I had I had these. I couldn't even understand it. It was just, it was just, I, I took pen to paper and in six days, I didn't leave my house and I just wrote and wrote and wrote. And I've never been an, an individual with rhyme and it is, it all started coming together. The words, it was crazy how it all came together. And I've written before. I mean, I have a, a book called Entrepreneurial Dad I released about a year and a half ago. I've been an entrepreneur for 26 years. Right. So, and, and I always found that separation between, being a parent and being a, a successful entrepreneur, I found there's a, there's a big gap when I, every time I would talk to people and I want to kind of show how I've kept it all together, how I kept my schedule together. Have I, I call it the I call it the three to six every day? I'm home from three to six. I haven't missed a dinner at home for almost 12 years with my family.
1: Amazing. And and there's certain things Bravo. I've done,
0: right? So um, inspiration comes from different areas, right? And and it's and it's amazing what you have done and accomplished. When you always hear that thing, writers block. Has there been moments where it's like, I need to get an idea, I need, to, and it just is not coming, and and has any of those moments prolonged for longer than you expected?
1: Well, before I answer that, if I may, I, I um, you know, I really want to congratulate you for being such a, a family man. Thank you. you know, family, family, to me is. Um, so incredibly important i have mentored so many billionaires ceos of big companies movement makers and some of them you know they're in they're in their mansions or their jets or their yachts and they have all the money that so many people think would bring happiness but they're alone yeah and and i think it's really i think it's a great time in the world Right now, to do one thing, which is reconnect with the 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 timeless values, and ask yourself, you know, how do you want to really measure success and what is true wealth? You know, there is a chapter in the Everyday Hero Manifesto. It's very disruptive, and it's called the Eight Forms of Wealth. We think wealth is economic wealth. That's the bill of goods our society has told us. Yeah, I think there's eight forms of wealth. One of them is family. You know, I mean, the joy I get. my, my son was just visiting me. And you know the joy I get. I've got two amazing kids. I've got an amazing life partner. I've got a, a great little dog, that that she brought into my life. You know, I, I, my parents are are thank God still healthy in their in their eighties. Yeah. And I think you know that is like that amazing. is you know so incredible. So I appreciate your your respect and your love and your devotion to your family. I mean that that to me is something you know, rather than the hustle and grind. Yes. I mean, I think we, we can do it both. And obviously it sounds like we both figured out how to to do it. both. If I may, I'd also like to ask you um, if you want to go there, the the best thing you learned from your father, or I'm just curious, the best thing you learned from your father or the best thing you learned from your father, just watching how he lived his life.
0: (sighs) Non-negotiables. I mean, my dad worked at Ford Motors in Oakville plant for 30 years, uh, are 12 hour shifts back then. I mean, they were doing, they were pumping out minivans and trucks out of that, out of that factory were 12 hour shifts. And back then and he was making incredible money. And if you worked weekends, you'd make time and a half to triple time. All our family and all my uncles worked there. Everybody worked at that factory and everybody worked weekends. My dad never worked one weekend. Every wow. weekend was family time. And he made sure he was with us every weekend and understanding he made that a non-negotiable money was not everything to him spending time with his time. He would, my dad would block all his holidays, his four weeks of holidays into one block every year. And we'd jump in the car, drive for 12 hours to Cape Cod and spend three weeks every summer in Cape Cod for over 12 years. And those memories I have are, they're priceless. When my kids were old enough to have a memory, the first thing I did road trip, and we, I mean, pandemic has changed us now, but we do one getaway and one road trip every year because I love road trips. There's nothing more, there's nothing more amazing than sitting in a car for 12 to 20 hours and your kids are crying, they're throwing up, there's, there, everybody's upset, but those, when you sit down and start to think of all those memories a year later or three months later or a week later, you laugh, you have such good memories, right? And the first thing I did with my kids when they're old enough, a first road trip was got them in the car, got my wife in the car and we drove to Cape Cod and we spent a week in Cape Cod and it's, it's, it's man, those non-negotiables. And I didn't even realize he had that. And it took me to be an adult, to have teenage kids to sit back and be like, that was my dad put that in his schedule. And he wasn't taught. He didn't have motivational speakers. He didn't have, he was a factory. He was an immigrant came to Canada. Um, my mom and my dad. My mom was 19. My dad was 24. We were Portuguese. Um, they came from Portugal, and God bless them. The first thing they did was to go to George Brown College and learn English. Ooh. And they both took a, they both took courses. My dad took um, uh, repairing uh, back then uh, printers and fax machines, whatever it was. And then my mom got pregnant, and with my my older sister, and he realized very quickly he couldn't do an apprenticeship for a year and a half. He needed money. And, and that's what kind of pushed him to Ford and the rest is history. But he, a family was everything to him. Family was everything to him. Every, it's just everything I did. And I've been an entrepreneur for 26 years. I've done extremely well. I run a couple of companies. We got 10 properties. We do all kinds of different stuff. And it was just this, this, this seeing his, his joy of me succeeding, his joy of just seeing his children doing well was was everything to him. Like that was the ultimate trophy, ultimate award to him is like I've made it because my children have made it. And 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 that was so inspiring seeing right. So my dad was just just and 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 everything too was just he was just a simple man that never spoke I never heard a bad word out of his mouth towards other people. He never, he just, he just, he was just, he never wanted conflict. He just wanted a simple, good life. And he wanted people to be happy around him, which is so amazing. So amazing. And I love him to death. And, and, and it, it, I know we're, we're going there. We're not even think we're going to go there today, but when he passed away, the first 74 days I visited him every day at the cemetery and, and uh, it was hard, man, it was, and it's still hard. It's been only, it's been eight months and it's like, I, I would do anything to be able to hear him with his voice one more time to see him one more time. Right. And it was really hard at how it actually happened. Cause there's just, it was just so sudden it was, it was May, May 6th, 10 eight, 10 at night. I would call him to say good night. Every night, every night we would call and just talk before we went to bed for five minutes. And I call him and said, how was your day? Oh, I'm tired. I had a long day, Jeff. I was tired. And that was it. And I got a call. I'm, I'm up at four 30 every morning. And I, I get a chunk of my work done from usually between 5 to 8, 9 a.m. I'm usually done most of my work for the day.
1: Totally. And, totally understand.
0: And uh, and I got a call at 6 a.m. on May 7th and uh, that he passed away. I jumped in my car. I lived in Brampton, jumped in my car. Um, I got there in like about 20 minutes when I got there. It was too late. He had passed away already. He died of a sudden heart attack. And, and my life just, just it was just, I, I relived that day over and over what I could have done different, what I could have said to him the day before. And I know you you can't change anything, but it's, it, he was just this oh, man. I, I wish more people would have met my dad. He was just a wonderful human I'm such a good person. So yeah, I apologize for going there. I went on a run here. So no, don't, d-
1: don't apologize. I mean, thank you for sharing it. It sounds like, I mean, just imagine if the, if the, the world had, what was totally full of people like your daddy he sounds as simple as it sounds he sounds like a a good human yeah so so and and you know i don't think you need to beat your do what you need to do to go through your grieving process but i don't i don't i don't think you need to beat yourself up you sound like you're an extraordinary son if i understood you correctly every night even before right you'd call them every
0: night to say oh yeah, yeah i don't, yeah, yeah, I don't yeah, know yeah. many people who every i would I, I would call them i i i mean now my, i mean my mom and my dad but i mean i every morning on the way to work i call on the drive yeah. talk to them for five ten minutes i would call them midday to see how they're doing and i would call them every night to say good night
1: wow great son. yeah
0: yeah and it's just you have to Man, just appreciate the time you have with them, and I mean, that's a, as I think with a lot of individuals, we get stuck with our daily routines, our 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 quote unquote hectic lives, and and then that's what I meant by the no regrets is is pick up the phone, call your loved ones, talk to them. Like there is going to be a time where you're not going to be able to do that. So well, I can. Think- but I th- if I may, I think
1: it, it speaks to the point, like, what's the point of spending the best hours of your finest days climbing mountains only to realize at the end of your life, you, you climbed the wrong ones?
0: Yeah, I love that. Yeah. And,
1: and I think it's really important at this stage, especially with the world in such turmoil, you know, ask yourself, what do you want to stand for? Ask yourself, I mean, at the, at, there's a chapter towards the end of the Everyday Hero Manifesto that actually challenges this idea of legacy. And I used to believe in it. I wrote a book 20 years ago called Who Will Cry When You Die. It's all about your legacy to live on in the hearts of those who leave behind, you know, uh, Joseph Campbell's idea to make your mark on the world so that, you know, posterity will remember you. And now I I think legacy is is a fool's, a fool's sport. Yeah, because we're all going to die. Yeah. No matter how long we get to live, even a long life is a very short ride. And the titan of industry gets buried next to the street sweeper. Yeah. And when we're dead, we're just going to be a pile of ashes in an urn over a fireplace next to someone's little league trophies. We're not going to be remembered except for a few people like our family. So I think legacy is a waste of time. I think it's what you're suggesting. It's, may we live while we are alive
0: yeah 100 let's
1: not spend any energy worrying about how we will be remembered as a history maker you know let's put family first let's put our ethics first let's trust our ethical ambitions and our personal mount everests and let's do those things right like a great life is made not in the safe harbor of the known but by glowing by going blue ocean yeah Right. And that's that's how we become stronger, better, faster, wiser human beings, you know, and, and do those things like that we know in our hearts we should do. There's there's another chapter in the book. I was in traffic. You'll you'll know where I'm talking about. I was on the, the DVP in Toronto. Yeah.
0: yeah.
1: And it was like, and and if you know it, I, I'm sure you know it, right? Yeah. It's not it's usually nothing but traffic no. between three and seven. And it was a sunny day and there was a gentleman ahead of me in traffic, bumper to bumper and uh he had a he had a license plate you know he looked like an elderly person convertible enjoying life and his license plate said time for fun you know and it's it's like how many people postpone taking the trips of lifetimes until they're too old to enjoy them how many people postpone saying the things in their heart they know they should say until it's too late to say them how many people don't forgive the people that they're carrying on their back because they haven't forgiven them until it's too, too late to do it. So, you know, I mean, I think there's something to be said for hedged risk-taking and um, yeah, not playing small with the promise that we've been given.
0: Yeah. I mean, there, there's so much to impact. I mean, when you, I'm going to be a little quick little story here. And it's just, it's just, I love that you said that because it is so true. Um, my dad only had one sibling which is his brother and and this is a story i've only told maybe once or twice and when their father my grandfather passed away um my uncle was and still is i'm sure till today we haven't talked in a while but he, he was always the individual where he was very um money driven and my father was a very simple person and, um, long story, I'll just, I'll, I'll, I'll pack it down a little bit more, but it was, it was, a, it was, it was a situation when my grandfather passed away. Um, my uncle, um, kind of pushed away from my dad and, um, and, and it was because of properties and money in Portugal and stuff. And my dad was just like, didn't want nothing to do with that. And long story is they didn't talk for quite a few years. And, um, and one thing I, I kept asking my dad, I kept saying, like, "Listen, I go, you gotta call your brother." Like, I mean, he's your only sibling. I would tell my dad this on a regular basis. My dad's like, "Listen, when he's ready to talk to me, he'll call me." And he never did. And when my and my dad passed away, we had a very small funeral because of COVID. There was only ten people allowed at the funeral, which really, really, absolutely sucked because he had so many people that he that loved them and wanted to see him and there be there for him and about 3 4 days later when i went to see him my dad to visit my dad there was a letter there and it was a letter from my uncle and and it was just a throbbing letter that like i i literally cried i mean i couldn't believe he actually wrote this but it was just pretty much a letter saying like how he 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 was so sorry he never came by he was so sorry that he never made peace with this all. And, and it, just, it was just a letter. It was a letter of regret. And, and, and in my heart, I'm like, it, it angered me. Part of me, cause is my mind's like, if you had just done this when my dad was alive, it would have meant the world to him and you're doing it now that he's not here. So a lot of people just to what you said, they, they, when they do realize it, it's sometimes too late and uh, just so
1: i understand jeff are you saying that after your father passed your uncle wrote a letter letter and left
0: it left it left it right at his sitting there at his yeah no yeah yeah he physically left the letter there at at his um uh at his uh at his tombstone he left the letter there wow yeah wow yeah and and it was in my dad's my dad's in the wall and it was weird because it, it was stuck in halfway. He was almost trying to stuff it in there and it was just like halfway in and I had to pull it out. And I was just like, who left this here?" And I, when I read it. Right. So it's, 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 it's so hard to understand why. I mean, I mean, like I said, we get so busy with our lives. We don't uh, truly live to the fullest. And at the same time we do, we, we, don't do the things we truly need to do till it's too late. Sometimes, so I love that how how what you said that we do need to understand that and and start living that way, living as if today is our last day on Earth. A lot of you hear that yeah. all the time, right?
1: And I, and I think to be, I think the point is that we're in to, we're singing from the same songbook. Yeah. And I think the key is to institutionalize some form of grounding and introspection every day. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a story I came across and the Indian Maharaja would wake up every morning. Everyone talks about morning routine right now. And his morning routine was, he would recreate his entire funeral, complete with music and flowers, all the while chanting, I have lived fully, I have lived fully, I have lived fully. And my dad explained to me when I asked him, what's this all about? He said, this man has found a way to each morning connect with his own mortality and to remind him on the shortness of life. And, and this sounds like a metaphysical or philosophical idea, but by the way, philo- philosophy is incredibly important. We're in this world right now, it's give me the tactics, give me the tactics, hustle and grind. What's the routine? Yeah. Philosophy without methodol- Methodology without philosophy might send you in the wrong direction. You could be really efficient at the wrong things. Peter Drucker, the great management guru, said there is nothing so useless as doing efficiently that which should not be done at all. So I think methodology and tactics are important, but we're in such a science, math based world, we're discounting the value of philosophy. And I think each day, you know, it's valuable to set up some kind of like a morning practice to remind yourself what's most important. And, and you know, maybe you, you get up and you write in a journal. You get up and I get up early as well. And and you read Marcus Aurelius's meditations or something philosophical. Before you go to sleep, you take five minutes and you write in a journal. And every Sunday morning, you reconnect with your values and you plan your week and all those kinds of things. And that's why I, each day after work, almost every day I go for a nature walk. I love it. And sometimes I just, you know, it's been a it's been an intense business day so I clear my head and sometimes I will listen to audiobooks or podcasts. And sometimes Jeff, I just I just think, you know, I just think about what I want to stand for, how I'll be remembered and I think the more you can come back to the shortness of life, the more you can come back to being an army of one protecting your own values even if no one else believes in them. I mean, that's what leadership about is about, yeah. and I think that's what life is about. Leo Tolstoy wrote, wrote a short story called The Death of Ivan Illich. Ivan Illich got to the end of his life and asked himself a fundamentally heartbreaking question. What if my whole life was a lie?
0: That's powerful.
1: Right? So how many people in the world right now, good souls, full of potential, incredible gifts and talents, and they're living, so, they're living their neighbor's life? Yeah, they're 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 chasing purely money. I'm not saying anything's wrong with with money. I mean, money allows you to do amazing things with your family. Yeah. It gives you a great yeah. source of freedom. Allows you to biohack. Allows you to travel. Allows you to give to give to others. I I think a lot of people though they're, they put money as as their gods versus their servants. Yeah. And I think you know what we're talking about is and and that's a, one of the benefits coming from. The pandemic, right? The the great re- resignation, the great what they call it, the great quit. People are leaving cities, leaving their jobs, but they're they're reconnecting and awakening to what's truly most important in life. And I think that's really something to think about. What is success to you? And then having the bravery to construct the remainder of your life based on your scoreboard of what success is, even if no one gets you. Every great visionary was ridiculed before yeah. they were revered. Yeah.
0: Yeah. What other forms of art really drive a passion to? You? Do you draw?
1: I don't draw
0: or paint or anything.
1: Um I don't paint.
0: Music? No, I, I love
1: I love music. Sure. What what
0: what, what genres of music to inspire you? And you said um,
1: like the, the past like through the whole pandemic I'm I've become like super super country country music so, fan yeah no, today today I, I listened two hours. I listened to what is it Wade Wade Bowen?
0: <laughs> okay yeah.
1: So I went down the rabbit hole, Wade Bowen and Chris Stapleton and Chris Stapleton, Whiskey Myers. Yeah, um, all of those country country music. I just I love country music. i love I love trip hop. In yeah. The evenings you know when we're relaxing and reading yeah. i love, I love trip hop i i make playlists for different creative projects i make playlists for new year's eve i make playlists for friday night dinners if i'm on a trip to italy or mauritius or london while i'm there in the vibe that i'm at i'll yeah. make playlists in my free time so i i love music and i love being around art i mean i um I, I, I love going to art galleries like the Tate Modern in London and museum or gallery of academia in Florence. And I just think when you're, it's really, I think it's really important if you want to push magic into the world through your work, you've got to know what magic looks like. Yeah. There's so little magic people saying, Oh, there's so much competition. There's no competition in the rare air of magic. Yeah. There's a lot of competition in pushing ordinary coffee apps books films tons of competition but in you know magic is so rare and i think you've got to know what magic looks smells feels and tastes like and that's why i love being around masterworks by the the great men and women of the world you get a sense of what magic is like and i think when you're around great art you're having a, you're communing with the energy of the artist and that rubs off on you.
0: I love that. Do you, do you collect art yourself?
1: I don't, I don't really, I wouldn't say say I'm an art collector, but I have a, I have a few favorite artists.
0: Okay. Okay. With all the places you've been to traveling wise and stuff like that. And you obviously have certain spots that inspire you more than others when it comes to creativity for work. Which places have you been to which just left a, a, a memory that that'll never be broken? Like a place I just like, wow, this is such an inspiring place.
1: Well, I can't tell, otherwise, all your followers will, will, will show up. <laughs> we'll, we'll all be there to and I'll, I'll lose the quiet. I'll lose the quiet. Too. No, I'm just joking. Um well, I, I'm a I'm a huge fan of Mauritius, as I mentioned. Yeah. It's this little um, magical island in the Indian Ocean about four hours off the coast of Cape Town. I'm a huge fan of uh, South Africa. I, I love South Africa. My life changed the two times I stood in Nelson Mandela's prison cell on Robben Island. At my life absolutely changed, the, especially the, the first time my life changed.
0: Well, what was the first time um, you've been there? How many years ago was that? 2016. It was... It was um, So recent.
1: I believe, I believe July of July of 20, I believe it was July of 2016. Yeah. Yeah. You 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 can't help but if you're if your heart is open, yeah, you you can't help but be changed standing in his prison cell, which was about the size of this room here. No, about half the size of the room that I'm in right now. Yeah. There was no bed, there was just a table uh, that looked out onto the courtyard. I went to the limestone quarry where he damaged his eyes because of the sun uh, shining off the limestone. He was try; it was a form of torture because all day for seven years or so, he was just breaking rock with the other ANC prisoners. But it wasn't used for anything, so it was just, you know, no, no meaning and purpose. I saw the showers where he would shower as an elderly man, and the young guards would laugh at him while he was naked showering. I went to the commissary where, when I went to his his cell and I saw where where he he spent 18 years of his life. He wasn't allowed out of that cell to attend the funeral of his eldest son who was killed in the car accident. The letters from Winnie Mandela, I, I saw the propaganda office where they would actually not give the letters from his family, talk about torture. You know, family. Imagine not not receiving any letters from your family and wondering what's going on, or letters from Winnie, for example, his wife at the time, that were, um, what what's the word? You know, the cut out or black and black. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. yeah.
1: Redacted, redacted. So, but South Africa is an amazing, amazing place. I love London. You know, if you're an artist, you've got to walk the streets of London. How many artists have been there? I I, I find California has a great vibe, just a very open vibe. New York is amazing. Um, Dubai is fascinating. Uh, You know, the north of of Europe is cool. Like, you know, the Scandinavian country. I mean, the world is an amazing place.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Scandinavian countries are, I mean, I always say if there's another place I'd probably live, it'd be one of those Scandinavian countries. I mean, it's just... It's it, it, their, their, their mindset, their way they live, their, their, their inspiration for art and music. And yeah, this is good, yeah. Uh, that's one place I would, if I were to be forced, I love, I love Canada. I'm a, I'm a very proud Canadian, but if there was another place, I'd be, uh, I think this one of the Scandinavian countries would be, be ideal. Fatherhood. What does fatherhood mean to you?
1: Mm. It's hard. It's hard to summarize it. I would say, uh, fatherhood is joy. Fatherhood is a privilege. Fatherhood, you know, my, my my job is not to be my children's friend, even though we're extraordinarily close. Most people would, if you saw me with my kids, you'd go like, I can't believe it. You guys are like best friends, like, yeah. You and your children, but. This is just my perspective, but my job is not to be their friend. I think too many parents fall into the trap of trying to be liked and you know, be their children's friend. We are our children's parents. We have to set boundaries. I think it's important to mentor our children. I learned this from Jacqueline Kennedy. She would expose her children to great art and great conversations. Um, JFK's father, Joseph Kennedy, brought fascinating figures and sat them down at the dinner table over long dinners and the kids were actually there. You know, so many parents say, okay, the guest is here. Now you guys go watch TV in the den. But Joseph Kennedy would have fascinating people and then he'd have, you know, the kids and they were little kids around the table. So fatherhood is like, to me, it's mentoring, it's championing. Yeah. You know, it's having, sometimes having hard conversations. I think you can say what you want so long as you say it with respect. So yeah. I think it's important to, to say things to your kids in loving ways, but that are honest and truthful. If they don't like it, that's not really my that's not really my issue. Um, I, I also I read a great book called um, "Chasing Daylight," and it was about the global CEO of KPMG, and he, and he was given ninety days left to live. He had an inoperable brain tumor. So he spent his last 90 days creating what he called perfect moments with his family because he didn't spend that much time with his family. To me, fatherhood is creating perfect moments with your loved ones. I mean, just literally orchestrating perfect moments. It's so powerful when you're intentional. Friday night, family dimmer. Dinner. How can I make a perfect moment? Maybe you write a letter to your loved ones and you recite it before you eat dinner. Maybe you have the right playlist. Maybe you make a new meal. You know, bucatini lim- limone al limone. But you know, th- these kinds of intentional things are very powerful. So, fatherhood is a great privilege.
0: I love that. You said you have a pooch now, a dog. What type? What type of dog is it? It's a ch- it's a Chorky. It's she's a, little, a, Chorky. It's a It's a little one.
1: She she's a little one who thinks she's a great dame. <laughs> <laughs> she thinks she like she, she, she walks around. Like she's the, the biggest dog in the neighborhood. Yeah. She thinks, she thinks she's a big dog. She's got a very strong heart, tons of courage character, but she's a Chorky part Yorkie part. Chihuahua. Great dog.
0: Yeah. dog. I mean, I've, I grew up, uh, my, my parents used to take dogs out of shelters and, uh, we'd always have That's two, three dog. dogs growing up. We always had two, three dogs and uh, when we got married, uh, we, we, the first thing we said to remember myself and my wife, we looked at each other and we we're like, okay, we, we're going to learn to live together. So we lived together for a year and then we're going to learn how to take care of something. The first thing we did was get a dog after a year. And, Amazing. uh, and, um, we had a uh, Milo for, um, got over 13 years till he passed away. And recently, uh, a couple of years ago, we got, um, a lab, uh, Jack's and there's nothing that feels a house, unconditional love of a dog. I think totally. it's so important to have around children just that unconditional love that responsibility that 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 that, that affection a dog brings so i i love that uh, you mentioned that at the beginning let's let's uh, let's end it with a little bit more about your book um and uh, anything you want to talk about your book before we uh, head out today
1: well the book is called the everyday hero manifesto um I'm really grateful to all my readers around the world. They've made it one of the best-selling books in the world right now, and it's uh, it's a roller coaster ride. It's 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 um it's a very contrarian book. It's part manual for exponential productivity and massive success in the world. It's part uh, philosophical spiritual handbook. It's part personal development book on personal mastery and owning your gifts and your talents. So you live, you know, your your highest life. Um, there's chapters on the time ten years of my journals vanished. There's chapters on Steve, Steve Jobs's last six words. There's chapters on my pyramid of exponential productivity. Um, yeah, it's my most vulnerable, my most vulnerable book, my most honest book. Not that I've ever tried not to be honest, but I just went to places I've never gone to. Um, I've put so much of my methodology that I've shared with many of the world's most successful people into it. And um yeah, it's available in audiobook, it's in Indigo and Amazon and Audible. And and I'm really happy to say a percentage of my royalties go to help children uh, with leprosy rise.
0: Let's, a, let's talk about your yeah. foundation. That was something I actually wanted to talk about. So I apologize mm-hmm. for skipping that. Let's talk about your foundation quickly
1: sure well uh, probably three years ago my dad who used to be a family physician in africa early on in his career he worked with with lepers so about three years ago he said robin if you ever have a chance to help people suffering from leprosy you don't hear about leprosy right in canada we don't hear about um but uh he said if you ever have a chance to do it do it so i have this foundation it's uh, a foundation for children and uh for my past few books, I've been giving a part of the royalties um, to this foundation to help children suffering from leprosy.
0: And, and you, this foundation started, you said, three years ago?
1: The foundation started maybe 12 years ago.
0: Oh, so it's been around. Okay. Okay.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we've helped, helped uh, childhood uh, uh, literacy. We've given to different causes. But now my focus is uh, leprosy reducing leprosy.
0: I'm gonna ask you one more thing. I have all these things I wanted I wanted to ask you. Uh fitness. How how fitness? important is fitness in your life? Fitness, yeah, working out, taking care of yourself.
1: Oh massively, massively. Oh there's there's
0: there there's some key
1: chapters in the everyday hero manifesto one is called the trinity of radiant vitality it talks about epigenetics if yeah. if someone's not aware of epigenetics if someone's not aware of biohacking if someone's not aware of the pharmacy of mastery that happens when you exercise let's say first thing in the morning the release of dopamine brain-derived neurotrophic factor oxytocin serotonin norepinephrine which boosts focus the reduction of cortisol fitness is incredible. To, to To extend your telomeres, which is one of the primary metrics of uh, your real age versus what I call your driver's license age. Yeah, fitness is especially first thing in the morning. It amplifies creativity, productivity, boosts your mood. It helps you live longer. You look better. You know, which is hard. Which is, you know, I, I need all the help I can. I need all the help I can get. <laughs>
0: I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. I'm going to, uh, this is a question we've kind of, kind of gone through back and forth through this whole thing. And just, I'm just going to ask you one last thing. I promise. If something were to happen to you today in a couple words, how would you want to be remembered by your family or described by your loved ones?
1: Honestly, it's, it's what I, it's what I shared earlier. I, yeah. I, I don't like the phrase. I don't care. It sounds so disrespectful. Yeah. It doesn't matter. That, Jeff, it doesn't matter to me. Yeah. I'm doing, I'm doing my best. I love I, it. I'm, I have hopes and dreams. I have insecurities and fears. I have strengths. I have weaknesses. You know, I am a human, you know, like yeah. I'm a, I'm a human being and I'm doing the best and I work really hard to be the best version of my highest self. And I really work really hard to push magic into the world through my work. I, I work really hard to be a good leader and a good, a good family man and, and, and a good citizen of our little planet in the galaxy of trillions of other galaxies and if i check out today hopefully i'll have a chance to have a really good last meal and um, listen to one of my playlists with my family surrounding me and it doesn't and it doesn't matter how they were they'll remember me as they'll remember me and it doesn't matter i go off to a i, I i'll check out and i'll go off to another podcast in the sky
0: I love it I love it I love it man. I going into I I've I've in the last god 170 episodes. I've been a guest on about 100 podcasts in the last year and a half but but uh, I've interviewed about 100 I've done 160 170 podcasts. And going into them I try to be as curious as I can. I try not to research as much as I can about the individual. But at the same time you never know going into an interview what you're going to get back. And sure. and I could honestly tell you and I'm saying this looking straight in your face, everything about you, I I have a, like a smile inside and outside. Like I'm, I'm, I'm so happy we had this opportunity to talk, man. You're just a good person and you're a good human and, and keep doing, keep doing what you're doing, man. I mean, everything about you is as authentic as you can. And that's all you could ask for somebody in life is to be authentic. So I appreciate everything you're doing, brother.
1: It's been, been really fun chatting with you. And, um, I and time, and next right. time
0: you're back in Toronto, I, I anytime you have a chance, I would love to meet up and have a nice steak dinner with you or go out and uh, and just chat. And if you have any free time and ice, your office is in Yorkville, I see. Um, yep,
1: yeah, it's it's midtown Toronto, exactly.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. How 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 often do you like how much time a year do you spend in Toronto? Are you are depends you? Depends on mostly, the de- year.
1: Depends on depends on the year, the past two years. 99% of the times. So. Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: Yeah. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much for this.
1: Hey Jeff, great great to meet you. You take great care.
0: Thank you, brother. That's a wrap for today. What a great conversation. I want to thank our guest, Robin, for taking time of his incredibly busy schedule to be a guest on the Jeff Nosing Podcast. If you guys enjoy this conversation as much as I have, like all weeks, tell your friends, tell your family, spread the word. We're trying to build something special here. Leave a review. Five stars will be absolutely amazing. We, Myself, my team, we love spending time reading the reviews. Until next week, guys, keep moving forward.